Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm good. How are you? I'm living the dream. I'm living the uh, the post-Walt Bell dream. Oh, no. <laughs> Already you messed up. We couldn't even... I, I had to start there because I yeah, didn't know if I'd be able even... to fit it in later. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I no. gave you an opening and you took it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is what it is. You just can't lose by two scores to Rhode yeah. Island on homecoming and get away with it. Mm. You also it's can't sad, have your record was... go, your winning percentage go below Charlie Molner, mm. which is a very UMass line, but. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what that means, but. Charlie, I'll tell you, Charlie Molner, uh-huh. Charlie Molner was the coach that UMass first hired when they first moved to FBS and the boosters hated him and he went two and 22 in two seasons. With the loss to Rhode Island, Walt Bell went to two and 23 over three. So not great. Uh, Not great. Anyways, that's way too much UMass talk already. (laughs) I just, as a little sidetrack, we've got our week 10 in the AAC to review. And that's really what should take place. Because I thought it was a pretty good week. Yeah, it's funny. I went on Memphis radio this morning and it's, it's like the, the season started out with the, the gap between the top teams and the bottom teams being this huge chasm almost that seemed like you could never really get across it. But as the season goes on, you've got these lower teams in the conference really fighting and kind of getting in a groove. And, and that's what we talked about early on is that it, how the teams that are going to be successful are the ones that take each week and learn and actually make adjustments moving forward and get better as the season progresses, as opposed to going the other direction. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to see, you know, some of the, these teams like Memphis and um, even mm-hmm. USF put up a fight in Tulsa. So mm-hmm. it, it makes me realize I don't know anything at all, well, but it's mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> you mentioned it's Memphis fine. and going on Memphis radio. They are, in my opinion, by far the hardest team to understand in this yeah. conference right now, because <laughs> they just are like, this is a team that does have some raw talent, but also has glaring weaknesses in like, can't decide what they want to be. Right. And I mean, you called that game. I did, uh, but that's did. mainly because it's at home and but I have a lot of faith there, you know? And that's what I was going to say is Memphis at home is such a different monster versus yeah. Memphis on the road. Yeah. Like, you know, Memphis on the road is the least intimidating, you know, they're a little, uh, baby kitten at home. They're <laughs> that full tiger. Uh, it's true <laughs> wow. though. Like, I know those <laughs> didn't even plan that. That was, uh, my dad yeah, would have been proud of that joke. I thought so. Yeah. Uh, we should start with that game though. So SMU 25, Memphis 28. SMU for the second week in a row couldn't get off the ground to start the game. It took them a long time to get going. Mm-hmm. Last week against Houston, they eventually caught up and obviously the kick returned from Jones and all that. Um, 
shot them in the foot. They never really caught up to Memphis in this game. And, you know, Seth Hennigan was good to go after being unable to finish up, like go full practice all week. So that was obviously a huge benefit that they didn't have to go back. To I court. told you he was going to go. I knew it. I, I was only I had faith. That, I think, yeah. And, you know, Parrish, who I think is a very talented player, he just yeah. was clearly not ready to be out there against UCF a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, you know, now UCF's got much better secondary than Memphis does, but like, you know, I think it would have been a different outcome if that was the case still. And yeah. again, it's obviously a lot more polished, a lot more refined, a lot more confident of a thrower. And, you know, they were able to take advantage of SMU just enough to get a win that they probably shouldn't have. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're a freshman quarterback who, by the way, got honor roll honors from the AAC, completes 34 53 passes for almost 400 yards, two touchdowns, and just one interception, I feel like you deserve. Again, we have the second week in a row where the quarterback on the other team is putting up better numbers than Mordecai. And mm-hmm. Mordecai is, I think, is clearly a better quarterback than Seth Hennigan, but. You well, cannot go back to back weeks of not outperforming the other quarterback when you're everything to that SMU offense. I think Ulysses Bentley's injury that has been kind of mm-hmm. nagging him all season at this point is really starting to catch up to SMU because yeah, uh, Sigurds is fine, but mm-hmm. they don't have any running game to speak of yeah. really right now. So they don't have that balance to that really makes Memphis so dangerous where they can, where you have to respect the running game. You don't really have to respect it right now. And that's to me, I mean, they had 61 rushing yards in this game. Not to say Memphis did well. Memphis only had 31 rushing yards. That's its own. I've talked about that a lot, about how Memphis doesn't have its running game that made it so good under, like, Mike Norvell. Anymore, and that makes – that's one of those things that makes me nervous about Memphis. But SMU's offense has a ton of great weapons. But when you're one-dimensional, you're one-dimensional, and that's easy enough to kind of target and stop. Yeah. Uh, We got to shout out defensive coordinator – Mike McIntyre, because, because got, yes, I, I love him, I but so. also Memphis's defense w- showed up. Oh, yeah. Like, no, like Memphis is like a top five pass blocking team in the country. If you just mm-hmm. go by like sacks allowed as your metric and they gave up one, two, three, four, five sacks in this game, which yeah, is, you know, that's a lot. That's a really, really bad day at the <laughs> office for a really good offensive line. So like it is. And, a, and, one of the players to recognize Rodney Owens, uh, defensive player of the week for the AAC. He was a key part of that defense that limited him to a season low SMU to a season low, 323 yards. Mm-hmm. He had six tackles, a sack for a loss of 12 yards, which is mm-hmm. one heck of a sack. And he made the clinching defensive play with an interception at the Memphis yep. 26 yard line on SMU's final drive. So shout out Rodney Owens. Yeah. Three total turnovers from SMU. That doesn't help you in a one score no. game either. Uh, so yeah, I think, the credit, like you said, really does have to go to the Memphis defense for shutting down a very good offense. I yeah. think SMU's obviously stubbed its toe a little bit the past couple of weeks. Like, mm-hmm. but uh, that happens. It's like a little bit of quicksand when you can't get it going. But mm-hmm. big, big congrats think, to Mike McIntyre because Memphis's defense needed a game like that. <laughs> I do. I don't know if you saw this reporting, but I did that mm-hmm. SMU currently has a contract extension in front of Sonny Dykes worth more than double what he's game paid right now. And he's yet to sign it. And I think he should go ahead and sign that because that's not going to get better. If you keep losing. Yeah. The money that he gets at SMU is crazy. I, 
I just think he, I mean, Texas Tech just filled their spot, but TC yeah. is open. Uh, I've heard Dave Aranda's name mentioned for bigger jobs. You know, he's a very popular name. So like Baylor could open hypothetically. I think he might be trying to use those to leverage money, but maybe send them. It really depends on what your coaching goal is because you sit there and you look at, okay, TCU is open. Why would you not make that transition to a bigger conference in the same area? You're still mm-hmm. recruiting. You know, it's like, it's not yeah, he, that big of a change for you. Like I don't know where his house is. He could be a suburb right, in between the two. Be he right not there. Have to move. But some coaches, the more I talk to coaches, the more I realize that not everybody's goal is to coach in a huge conference. Some want just the right setup and the right situation. And I think that's what Dykes has. So why would you not sign the extension? Yeah, I don't know. I think unless you're trying to leverage more money with like the threat of leaving. Like how much more money do you need, Sonny Dykes? You're already getting a ridiculous amount of money. Like that's enough. Yeah, and this would be a massive new contract. Yeah, it's too much. It's ridiculous. But yeah, you know, I mean, if Dykes stays at SMU and they keep winning like this for say a decade more, which is obviously Mm -hmm. a huge if because you don't know how long he stays. You don't know if he can keep it up, blah, blah, blah. You don't even know what the conference looks like in here. That's the type of, career though that at smu would be worth the statue just fixing them after years of nothing after the death penalty because yeah he's the first coach who's had them relevant since then and that's you know i mean to a lot of people that's a huge legacy to leave behind so yeah just a a little thought if you had heard it um we're gonna be real quick with this next game i think it's uh (laughs) temple three ecu 45 and let me tell you what You talk, you started the show talking about how like a lot of the teams at the bottom of the conference have worked their mm. way and made a little, they've worked their way up closer towards what you think of as a middle tier team at the start of the season. You know, Temple's not one of those teams. They've no. really, it, I hate to say a team's quit, but it looks like they've quit when they play. You know, it's, it just looks like yeah. they're uninterested in being there. We talked the last few weeks about Temple really needs to try to start faster so that they're not immediately behind in games. Uh, it was 21 nothing at halftime. They didn't get those three points until the fourth quarter, you know. You just look at the numbers and it's I don't you don't even have to say names, but passing seven of thirteen for thirty-seven yards, the leading rusher, eight carries for fifty-four yards. I there just really isn't anything yeah. to say. And that leading right. rusher, by the way, is Lynch, the backup quarterback who <laughs> played a large chunk of this game, who threw six for 20 himself for 20 yards. Yeah, you know, like I, They had 57 yards passing between two quarterbacks who threw the ball 33 times. That's terrible. You have to look at it and like. ECU's it got can, a, and credit to ECU because they've played that full 60-minute yes. game that I've really been asking them to play and that they've yeah. struggled to play. Uh, ECU's got such a good secondary that doesn't get talked about enough. It, they mm-hmm. really do. ECU's found a running game to balance out their offense in a way they really haven't had in years into years at this point. So ECU's doing a lot of things right to be a lot better team still. Yeah. But Temple just walked in there and folded the second anything you know what i mean and that's what's frustrating to me right now is it just i use the comparison to usf a lot and in some ways i think it might not be fair because usf is in a naturally better position just geographically speaking yeah but these are two teams with young coaches who are in clear rebuilds because of you know just the roster turnover that they inherited right in one roster and we'll talk about them i think that's the last game we're going to get to just in terms of when they kicked off order uh but you've got one roster in USF that plays really hard every game from the word go and mm-hmm. doesn't quit. And you've got one that comes out half asleep and 
gets behind doesn't care. And, and I hate to say that because I know that people care on that program. I'm not saying that they like actually don't care, but that's just the feel you get watching the game where you go, I don't even want to watch this because yeah. I just know the end result. I know that they're not going to make it interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it is hard. And I think at this point you just, you get through the season, you go back to the drawing board, you'll be older next year. Something's got to change. And I don't, I'm afraid of what those changes are going to be. Yeah, I know, you know, um, but it, uh, it is what it is like for this, Temple. <laughs> here's what I'll say for Temple. I don't think they can afford the Rod Carey buyout that they gave him. I think I he know. gets one more year. Yeah, I think he gets one more year, but I think he's going to make some changes because yeah. you have to do something. Well, we just saw that, like in Nebraska, Scott Frost got yeah. the dreaded vote of confidence and then cleared house from his offensive staff. Crazy. Uh, Dan Mullen, I think, just got strong-armed into firing Todd Grantham and their uh, offensive line coach, whose name I'm forgetting right now. And Jimmy think... Lake over at Washington tried he... to save face by firing some people and then ended up getting suspended anyways. Yeah, can't hit a kid. Uh, I think Jimmy Lake's yeah. getting fired either way. I think this is... Yeah first step towards that but this is the thing about that i'll say is that people saw that incident happen if you didn't see it you should go watch it Mm -hmm. jimmy lake the washington head coach hitting a kid on the sideline with a clipboard and a lot of people that i know that played football think okay he's just getting fit you know tough with him he's getting in his face okay i'm not going to argue with that because i didn't play football i don't like how it looks the optics are not great but what people need to understand is with jimmy lake it's a bigger problem this is just something that's finally coming out to the public but i've been saying this all season long he is not who he purported himself to be the staff and the players did not buy in and they did not buy his shtick mm-hmm. and mind you he retained peterson's entire staff but came in and tried to do something completely different with the same pieces it was never going to work yeah. he's not the guy so now we're fi- i just yeah. i'm and glad that, that everybody's able to see it now you know yeah i hate to get too sidetracked into that but washington made the they're the most recent pac-12 team to make the playoff that was a team that had a really good chance to uh, 2016 yeah like, so long ago. yeah but that like, bums me there's, out there's that. only two pac-12 teams that have ever made the playoff. i know Oregon that. in the first year then i know washington that. in 2016 and like washington had a lot of pieces in place where they looked like they were so close to being that like Pac-12 contender where like if you had yep. Washington and Oregon battling for the North every year, maybe you don't need USC to make that conference a lot more fun and relevant, but they haven't held up their end of the bargain as the yeah. long and short way of running in there. And it's a shame because I really like watching Washington when they're good because yeah. it's a gorgeous stadium and it's just like, it's, it's so fun. It's, it's fun a, for football. You know, I think it's a really, really good fan base, blah, blah, blah. Uh, not to get too sidetracked out. Anyways, yeah, sorry. But, yeah, I just, but it's a shame. Yeah. And Jimmy likes that link on at the end of the year. Jimmy Lake, yeah. Um, um, I got to give a shout out to your boy, Holt Nailers, putting together a game despite Dan not, you know, being, hey, I think you're on his I, team now, but I've you, always said he's got a lot of potential. I just, yeah, I don't like how inconsistent he is. And I think that he hasn't over the course of his four years now at ECU developed as well as he should have. Yeah. You know, I think, you'll see in some games he'll get happy feet in the pocket In some games mm-hmm. he'll make decisions that senior quarterback shouldn't be making, like throwing the ball once you've crossed the line of scrimmage. Right. And I, th- I really like his natural ability. I like his talent yeah. level. It just doesn't always put it together. So yes, my I boy w- Holton Ellers continue. 
I think he he's doing these things to spite you. I would like to see him have a game where he makes zero mistakes. No interceptions would be yeah, nice because we seem to always have one. He did have one in this game. We seem to always have one or two, but he completed 16 to 24 for 191 yards, three touchdowns and a rushing touchdown mm-hmm. himself. So that earned him honorable honors for the, the AAC. The rushing thing to me is important to his game. He's a very yeah. good, strong athlete. And he's a good runner. I don't, think that ECU uses him as a runner enough. If they had him right. just do read option two, three times a game, it would put teams on their heels a little bit when he's out there. Um, yeah. Especially like third and one quarterback power, that type of thing. It'd be very effective at that if they used him in that way more. Uh, also Keaton Mitchell, he didn't really have found a running back. He had 146 and two scores. Yeah. You know, all so around good, all around yeah. good for ECU tough for temple mm-hmm. <laughs> and not in the way that they want to be tough. Um, so <laughs> yep. yeah. Moving uh, on. Yeah. Navy six, Notre Dame 34. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that big a blowout. It really wasn't. Uh, okay. Well, Navy's, the score doesn't, doesn't make it seem that way. Well, this is often how the score works on the Notre Dame Navy game is we're just talent okay. over time works out that way. Uh, Ty Lavate, the Navy starting quarterback got injured and was in a sling oh, for the second no. half. That was a large part of what happened there. Okay. So that's, uh, yeah. You know, he was finally getting them like, going in a rhythm i felt like he was cooking that sucks it was he took a tough hit on when he was running the option um navy did a very good job making jack cone notre dame starting quarterback uncomfortable in the pocket uh you know he jack cone makes himself uncomfortable in the pocket (laughs) enough but like navy did a good job especially in the first half creating pressure uh you know they got to him more often than I think North Carolina and USC did like combined. Uh, the trick of it though, is that just the talent on Notre Dame o- over time just overwhelms Navy. And this right. happens a lot of times in the game. Like there was like a 70 yard uh, touchdown pass to Kevin Austin, where it was really not, it shouldn't have gone for 70 yards, but one guy, the corner missed a tackle and he just had uh, so much speed that no one on Navy could catch him. And that's kind of this thing that, you know, has, you know, that gets going Kyron Williams from Notre Dame, who is an all American caliber halfback. He had two scores. Like these things add up over time. Notre Dame's defense is incredibly talented. Their front seven is loaded with NFL talent. And, you know, sometimes you just can't go in, especially once you're backup quarterbacks in the game. Uh, you know, yeah. And it's tough. I, Kyle Hamilton missed the game, but you know, Notre Dame didn't need a safety in this game. They just needed to win the last scrimmage. <laughs> they did not. Actually, they, I think they Isaiah, did not. <laughs> I think Isaiah Foskey missed this game too, and he's like an all-American defensive end, you know. But guys yeah. like Jordan Batello, uh Kurt Heinish, they dominated for the Irish, which I, I've said before I'll say and that's what's supposed to happen in this game. Yeah. Well, it did. I, I, my only caveat here, I did not get to see the game, but looking at the the box score, I would have liked to see more, uh, always more Michael Mayer. I would like to see Navy took him away pretty well. Yeah. That's what it seems like. He only had four catches for 28 yards mm-hmm. and he's, you know, arguably one of the best tight ends in the country. I think in my opinion, he, I mean, I'm obviously a little biased about the Northern yeah. thing, but I think he is the best tight end in the country. I, I'd put a I, period on it. I can't say that because the numbers in are just, not, and I think that's a reflection of the talent think, that they play, I, you know, I think it's a reflection of the wide receivers on the outside at Notre Dame. I think mm-hmm. right now, Notre Dame doesn't, I mean, Kevin Austin's a very good wide receiver, but this is his first year at that like kind of level. Right. But other, after Kevin Austin, what wide receiver is there on the outside for Notre Dame that you like say, Ooh, that's a scary guy. Avery mm-hmm. Davis, who tore his ACL, unfortunately in this game for Notre Dame, He's, he's okay, but he's not never going to be a guy you need to like 
focus on. Braden Lindsay has never come around. He's been a disappointment for his entire career. After yeah. that's like freshman right now for Notre Dame. So teams really can like double and triple team mayor all game long. I think that's more where you see his numbers drop off over the course of the season as teams realize, Hey, we really should just focus and take him away and make the wide receivers beat us. And you know, yeah. that's where they're at. I also think well, that Jack Cohn doesn't do a great job getting off his first read. So that's just me. Well, they took care of business Saturday, so good for them. They did. Notre Dame's going to win out, probably be 11 and one and look really good on Cincinnati's resume. Yeah. Play in the orange bowl or something fun like that. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of Cincinnati, Tulsa 20, Cincinnati 28, Davis Sprin, what are you doing? <laughs> You literally couldn't wait. I couldn't. <laughs> First thing. So, yeah, um, I'll just run through it in case anyone didn't catch the ending of the Tulsa-Cincinnati game. Cincinnati let Tulsa hang around to the point where it was an eight-point game, you know. <laughs> like they could have tied it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so Tulsa's driving down. They get it inside the five-yard line, and mm-hmm. Cincinnati gets a goal line stand. Good for Cincinnati. That's what their defense does, you know. That's what you should be doing against a Tulsa no, team that is like Exactly. This. Their defense is very good. Good Lord. So there's like a minute and change left. And on the very first play, because they're so backed up, Cincinnati says, we're going to do a quarterback sink because, you know, mm. get some room to operate with out of the shadow of your goal line. It's a pretty standard procedure from that spot. Desmond Ritter fumbles the snap. It was, they had a, mm. Cincinnati had a series of issues with the center quarterback exchange, mostly on shotgun, but this was under center. They fumbled the snap. Tulsa gets it back. They get stopped a couple times. Davis Sprint has a chance to score on a quarterback, like a keeper, and he mm-hmm. slides on the half yard line and gets spotted short. The fun, the sad thing is, he thought he was in. Like he, that was, oh, it was God. heartbreaking to watch because he really he thought, thought. I think he thought he was diving in, but he slid in, which means the second you slide, it's where you I, start I the slide, and not I, where you finish. And I know the the smart part of his brain knew that, but his emotion and his heart, he was like, "I'm in," and he was so just excited. One more, just one more step. He needed to take so one more step, and he had it. Uh, and to, at that point, Tulsa should have been, you know, to, running a two point play to tie the right, game, to tie the game. and ruin mm-hmm. game day for Cincinnati. And you know, the next play, I think it was Prince fumbled into the end zone for Tulsa. Didn't really matter because unless he recovered it, it comes out. Anyways, in that situation, Steven Anderson fumbled. Anderson? His, yeah, he was okay. reaching for the goal line. If you watch that, it's it's almost as painful as the Bryn slide. I mean, they were both just painful to watch. The the Bryn slide was worse for me because he was <laughs> yeah. in, and like you know, he had the like he was, had the, the lane. Was fourth down, and he was trying yeah. to get his you know just needed to bury his way in it, couldn't yeah. do it. You know, uh-uh. uh, I also don't, I didn't love the play calling in that set of like we're just gonna keep running the ball, like just throw it, like. Mm-hmm. Since it was selling out to stop the run up the middle, just like a little bootleg, a little something, not a jump, like not a jump ball 50 50 style, but like do something other than up the middle. Yeah. Uh, this just goes to prove exactly what I've been saying about Cincinnati. You cannot be playing teams like this this close at home. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be your environment yeah. where you're bringing the pain. And Tulsa is not a good team at the end of the day. They may have no. played well. They've fallen down to three and six now. And, you know. You can't be doing that, Cincinnati. And, and this is why they do not belong in the college football playoff. Because they can't even blow out teams like Tulane, Tulsa. Like, no. you. I still, don't, they don't have that killer instinct. I, they cannot put their knee on the neck. I have a firm belief that if there are four teams that are 12 and 0 at the end of the year, then there's four teams who should be in the playoff. You know, just like that's to me 
if you're undefeated, that should mean something. Like when UTSA came out was unranked last week, that made no mm-hmm. sense to me. I, I get they're in Conference USA. I get Conference USA is a mess right now, but they're unbeaten in a good team. You know what I mean? Like you just need to respect the unbeaten record to a certain extent to me. But I, uh, I know, but I don't here's what love I'm saying. that. I don't well, love that, that. That's my personal feeling about unbeaten. I got something. you. Uh, but we also know how reality works in, in a few hours. We'll get the next round of playoff rankings and you can guarantee some say it's no higher than they were last week. If they didn't no, go down. They're going to stay at six because they, they did not. Down. If they don't go yeah, down. Like if they don't go down. Continue. Like, and this I think the they stay. I think they stay where they are. I just think they Prop, get jumped. I mean, let's see who's behind the Michigans with seven, right? Yeah, but I think Oklahoma has a. I mean, I Wake Forest lost, so Notre Dame. Yeah, so they're gonna. Yeah, they'll drop down. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, it was seven Michigan, Oklahoma eight. Wake I Forest think Oklahoma. Nine, ten. I I don't. I think Oklahoma after the Baylor game. Well, if they beat Baylor, that's when they'll get their jump. Maybe, yeah. But no, but like here. But I don't think of, Cincinnati goes up to five. That's what no. everybody's oh, asking. I, and I, just, I guarantee you, they don't. They don't. They, I mean, they'll need. Ohio State, like Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan, probably Oregon and Oklahoma to all lose if they have any shot at it. And that's just, and like, and when I say lose, I mean lose again in some cases. Alabama will need to lose again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It almost did. That was wild. And how fitting for Ed Orgeron. It, let me ask you this. If he beats Alabama in that game, does LSU rehire him back? Because no, they can't. They can't. They can't. <laughs> but wouldn't that be hilarious? Like, it would, but there's you went and did the one thing we needed you to do after we fired yeah. you. There's too much <laughs> fundamentally wrong with that program right now to bring him back. That's but fair. like you can't. But, yeah, but you got to no. ask that question because like everybody's goal is to beat Alabama. And if you do yeah, it I'm, right after you're fired, your value goes up. Oh yeah. Alabama is also not a, a lot of teams are not as good as I think we right. think they are. But I guess my thing with Cincinnati in the playoff is if you want to get real consideration, you need to make it so that they don't have the opportunity to ignore right. you in Cincinnati for three weeks in a row now has they can't given, do it. They've given excuses to be ignored. And I yes. think it does come down to their offense is not capable of consistently blowing people out. Like it makes me think more and more that blowing out UCF was a fluke. You know what I mean? Because like they blew out UCF. They blew them. Yeah. And ever since then UCF has allowed eight points a game and you know, their offense is what their offense is with a true freshman quarterback right now. But you know, Cincinnati, They're, I don't think should have been able to move the ball on UCF like that, other than something just clicked right for Cincinnati. And I don't know what it was if they just were able to get up and say, all right, we're taking on this logo. You know what I mean? Right. Like, oh, they're going to the big 12 with us. Oh, they were, you know. I think it's personal because, and everybody has that target on UCF because of their like swagger and their yeah. their like, personality. So I think people like And then to you do- can't bother to wake up for Tulsa or Tulane. Yeah. I'm telling you, and this is what I've been yeah. saying all along. I'm sorry, Cincinnati fans. I'm sure you're a very nice group of people. I mean, and they, I wish you, they put chili on pasta. I, <laughs> it's okay. Doing I wish them all the best. The Cincinnati fans we met at Notre Dame did not know what a Bearcat was just for the record. I don't think but it's a real thing. Well, they didn't know what it was and they I'm were pretty confident. Fans, so. I was going to say, I'm pretty confident it's not a real thing. <laughs> but I just got to say, like, I have been riding this train from day one and you know that I've been staunch in this. I do not think they're as good as everyone thinks they are. No, and you- Having seen them play in person, mm-hmm. even in the Notre Dame game where they played decent, mm-hmm. they are not that good. They get lucky 
and they they have a lot of energy and they run around and do a lot of things so it looks like they're really good i think their defense is that good i think their offense is not and i think that's you know you need to have a full well you need to have a fully rounded team i hate to go after desmond ritter because i think he runs that offense very well and he knows what he's doing but he doesn't have the capability to be an explosive playmaker on offense and they don't have the receivers on the outside they've got some very good talent on the outside but they don't have that explosiveness that like makes you go oh wow look at that offense like if you compare Mm -hmm. look at all like the g5 teams in recent history that have been truly threatened and made people pay attention to them like the 2017-18 UCF that had McKenzie Milton on it. Uh, you know, Houston right before that had uh, Greg Ward as their quarterback. You know, mm-hmm. going back a little further to the Boise State teams with Kellen Moore or even Hawaii with Colt Brennan. Like these teams had quarterbacks that made you go, wow, look at them doing something that I didn't think a quarterback could necessarily do. Desmond Ritter doesn't make you think that. You go, oh, he's a pretty athletic quarterback who makes the right read every time, but he doesn't strike fear in you if you've got corners that can yeah. lock down in coverage he just does And now that you've seen them play these games against Tulane and Tulsa like there's no fear at all I think the rest of the AC down Cincinnati stretch is like okay if we at least show I mean SM, if I'm SMU I'm showing up you got at USF SMU and then at ECU and that game I think that I think ECU e- game should they should yeah, be going back should. To, going back to before you were the co-host of the show. And when it was Joe Brobeck, mm-hmm. he would joke at me that ECU is going to be the one who beats them this year. And I was pretty dismissive about it because you know, <laughs> this is just I, that sounds it, like something I would say. I like, yeah. I like that. But like, I'm with that. Because he would point out that like historically Holton Ehlers would have a random 500 yard passing game. Yeah. So why not make it that week? Why not? Where they're like looking forward to the AAC championship and, and they get know, them at home. They're, they're obviously more dangerous at home in that mm-hmm. environment. And, you know, that's something I was dismissive towards, but, you know, the more, the closer we get to a better <laughs> ECU's playing yeah. and the worse Cincinnati's playing, you're going, wait a minute, maybe. <laughs> the yeah. end of this American conference this year is about to be a wild one. Like, yeah. I, it's, I, it, I can't wait. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on to Tulane 10 UCF. I don't even want 14. to talk about this game. I, I have, don't. You know, guess what's on broke his leg in this game and coach <laughs> the rest of it standing up on a broken leg? No. Yeah, and on the first defensive drive of the game, UCF got a fourth down stop, and Mm -hmm. he, like, jumped up as a player was running over, and he fell awkwardly, and he broke his tibia, I want to say it was. And he had, like, the rest of the game, he had, like, GAs, like, holding him up while he was, like, calling plays and stuff like that. And then he showed up the next day on crutches. He's on crutches for six weeks. That's wild. That's crazy because that's the same injury I found out that Tanner McKee, the quarterback from Stanford, has. Hey, small world. Small so, but six weeks is the norm like, for that healing. Yeah. And David Shaw tried to tell us after the game that we were going to see him back this season. And I was like, I don't think you know how yeah. long the rest of the season is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. So, Gus, no. Gus is in his fifties and Tanner McKee's, you know, still yeah, a but a broken student. bone heals the same bro- amount of time. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. But a broken bone's a broken bone and you need yeah. to. That. That's crazy. Good for Gus. Good for yeah. Gus. I mean, so, not good that was, he broke his leg, but good but for him that he he literally stood it out for the rest of the game. Well, he yeah. calls he calls plays for UCF too. So I think there's a few UCF fans complaining about play calling. Maybe he's got an excuse. He was a little distracted. Uh, yeah, he I probably also, didn't even register the pain. But that's a good example to set for your guys of toughness. Like you know, good for him. I also, I also don't agree with the criticism about his play calling. I think. I might have a slight scheme criticism when he goes to Joey Gatewood, because I think that takes Mikey Keene out of a rhythm that he's trying to get into during the game. 
And we mm-hmm. saw that in the second quarter against Tulane here where it felt like King got into a rhythm and Gatewood got some snaps and that rhythm was lost for an extended period of time. I think right now with Jalen Robinson being banged up and a freshman quarterback, it's a little predictable that pass plays are going to Ryan O'Keefe. Uh, I think those are fair criticisms, but I don't think mm-hmm. the play calling is the actual issue. I think a lot of it comes back to, hey, your all-conference quarterback has a broken collarbone and like you're playing a true freshman instead. And it's just not fluid with him all the time on offense. And credit to Tulane because their defense was awful this season in the past two weeks against Cincinnati and UCF. They've stepped up and played very well, you know? Yeah. And you're seeing flashes of Tulane improving. But, man – that UCF defense has been so good. They're allowing eight points per game in their last three games, which is the best three game stretch since 2014 for UCF. Wow. Which is like, it's not what we're used to. It's a complete kind of flip the script of what UCF had been the past few years, you know? Yeah. And then my other thing that I'd like to point out, that was the worst two minute drive by Tulane in a long time for me that I've seen. And like, Oh, well, and like a little bit over a minute, they got two, maybe three snaps. It was really bad. Yeah, that's you tough. Know? And they had, a, they had a legit shot because they were on UCF side of the 50, and then it was a practice sack, then they threw and completed a pass inbounds. And then like with one second left, they got a snap off and threw a bad Hail Mary. It was incredible how long in a hurry-up offense it was taking them to get snaps off. It was like they hadn't practiced it. And that's an issue in its own, right? But I guess my thing is... I don't have anything to say about it because Tulane scored 10 points and they're one and eight. So I don't... I mean, Pratt didn't make any... He didn't make any mistakes. Well, he made some mistakes. He held the ball too long a couple of times. He did try to do more than he should with that times. Nothing resulted in turnovers and like disastrous turnovers like that. But it's... I think part of that, you do have to give credit. UCF secondary was a very maligned last season at times and the start of this season for being just not good, but yeah. it was a very young secondary, very naturally talented. They're growing a lot. And, you know, that's, you know, like I said, three straight weeks ever since the Cincinnati game when it's been impossible to throw on them and it's been yeah. difficult to run on them in the past rushes getting there all day long. So I think that's worth giving a lot of credit towards, you know? Yeah. I will give Tajay Spears, uh, a, a round of applause for him. He continues to have decent games despite Tulane struggling. So um, he's a very talented back and he had, mm-hmm. you know, their, their only touchdown. So there you go. You got to give a, a shout out to UCF senior linebacker, Bryson Armstrong, team high 11 tackles with a sack and two tackles for a loss. The Kennesaw state transfer. Yeah, yeah, we love that. Honorable AAC uh, award winner, Bryson Armstrong. So congratulations, Bryson. They have. All right. We've got one more (laughs) game to get through now. And this was, I think, you know, maybe you say Tulsa Cincinnati was the game of the week. Maybe you say SMU Memphis was. I'm going to go SMU Memphis for me, but. I was going to say for my money, this was the game of the week. Houston, South Florida. Okay. Yeah. Houston 54, South Florida 42 with South Florida having a legitimate chance to win this game, like late in the game. You know, that wasn't like a 42, you know, sometimes it gets to be like 54 to like 35 and you're like, okay, this game's over and you take it. Then there's a touchdown or two to make it look closer. This was USF had a real shot to win this game late. Yeah. And to the point I was making earlier, when we're talking about Temple, that's what I think 
if you're a USF fan this year, you're going to see the record at the end of the year probably be two and 10 or three and nine, somewhere like that. You know what I mean? Without glancing ahead at the full schedule, and you're going to go, man, it was another really terrible year where we didn't win much, but that's not what you need to look at or focus on. It's the reading in between the lines and seeing the growth of a, the team over the course of the season, because you found your quarterback of the future. You found some great running backs and, you know, you figured out a lot of identity to your offense at the very least, you know, there's a lot of you that's still very raw and, you know, struggles at times, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but there's also no real quit to it. And you can say, Hey, we were this, but you know, we were better than we were the year before and we can expect to be better the year after this. And I think that's really something to hold on to if you're them, you know? Yeah. And this game itself, like, I mean, the first play of the game was the uh, USF kick return for touchdown. It was, immediately you're like oh boy here we go like usf's here for the day you know i yeah i i don't know this is i houston this is my thing houston had been on such a little rise there but we've talked about south florida being that scrappy you know fighter and that's what they did but Mm -hmm. houston had no business defensively for what they're supposed to be in the third ward and all that talk mm-hmm. about that like they had no business letting south florida oh, be, be in this game like that, that so. that's completely fair because i've been saying all year that the strength of houston is their defense right which like you don't really think about but it's a ton of great athletes on that side of the ball especially on the defensive line plus you got you know marcus jones in the secondary and it just clicks and flows very well that defense and they do a great job they did not do a great job in this game, frankly. And you're <laughs> no, right about that. You know what I mean? They, you know, and their, you know, their offense propped them up with a massive game. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean they had a yeah. massive day running the ball. You know, Clayton Tune was almost perfect in this game. And yeah. those were the Clayton Tune, that, that looked like the guy that I talked about in the beginning where I was like, this is Clayton Tune's year. And you were like, no. And, was, and yeah, then it I mean, wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, the thing with Clayton Tune that I've seen for this is like his third year as a starter there now. He's so consistently the guy who flashes this potential where you go, man, I played in tune if you just put it together. And he yeah. often doesn't. He really right. put it all together. You're like, if he could just, and then yeah. Yeah. for a year, for a couple of years, there was if he could just, instead yeah. of throwing the ball into coverage when he felt pressure, just throw it away or take the sack. Yeah. You know what I mean? If he could, just I feel like he's getting, much. and then this, he's getting there. He is. He is on his way. Um, I he earned Offensive Player of the Week honors for his though. performance in this game. Yeah, and, and you have to give it to him because 21 of 26, he only missed mm-hmm. four passes at 80%, 80.7% completion, 385 yards, three touchdowns. Um, but not only that, he connected on 16 of his last 17 passes. Mm-hmm. Um, they finished with a season-high 646 yards without any mm-hmm. turnovers. And it was his second consecutive game with 300 passing yards. He has also thrown 133 consecutive passes without an interception. Mm-hmm. So it's weird. If you the take turn- his- He's fixed the turnover bug in a lot of ways. You know? Yes, he has. And it's like his ability to be so accurate, if you combined it, like if we piece together a quarterback from the AAC and we took little pieces of Ehlers, of Mordecai, of Hennigan and Tune, and you put them all together, you'd have this like- like Dylan unstoppable Gabriel kind of quarterback. Yeah, it'd be crazy. <laughs> and Tune is a big part of that because his percent, mm-hmm. like his accuracy is so impressive, you know. But you're right, his decision making, it offsets it. It's a problem. Can I tell you what Tune did this year in a lot of ways? Is he's taken the mm-hmm. step forward over the course of the season that you wish Michael Pratt did. 
Mm-hmm. Is Michael I think he's Pratt more talented than Pratt? But but well, yes, he's more experienced than Pratt for sure yes. too. It's part of it. But like you know, Pratt, I think he's a better passer. Like overall, I think he's a better passer. I think Pratt is more athletic and a I little think, more like dangerous. Yeah. Well, you know? I think they, they remind me of each other a lot and okay. how they play the I game. I think they're both good runners when they you know need to be. They're not, mm-hmm. but they're not a run first quarterback. They both right. have had throughout their careers issues with turnovers and forcing the yeah. ball too much. I, you know, I think tunes managed to clean that up. And if he can play games like this, where he also is wicked efficient and, you know, yeah. wicked dangerous downfield, he was really dangerous throwing downfield against SMU too. And give him yeah. credit for that. Then he's become this complete full package thing. And right now, if Houston Cincinnati played next week, I'd say Houston, or I'd say Houston beats them. Don't you think right now? Yeah. I would think that would be a game. I would, pay to go see because I think that, I mean Houston has to want that second half against us against uh tech back so bad yeah. they are if you look at that game that's yeah that's crazy I know that game and that's what kind of set the tone for us we're like oh this isn't there this isn't the real deal well, for them this year and that's the thing is I had you know the first two years of Dana were so weird and disappointing yeah and Houston where you kind of go I came in with very tempered expectations then they lost to Texas Tech. Then they went to the string of games against competition that I hate to say I don't respect it, but it's just not the level of what the American puts forward with like a grambling at the FCS level or a rice. You know, they're the bottom of Conference USA, frankly, right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, those games, you know, and they had Navy, who at the time was really bad. And still, if you look at Navy's record, is not a good record. You know, they had Tulane pretty early this season. You kind of keep going, like, well, I'm waiting for it. And it's time to just say, yeah, they're very good. And it's a shame they couldn't have that one back. But yeah, but yeah no, I, I do think you, like I said, I don't want to get away from giving USF a lot of credit for how hard they played. Yeah. I mean, Houston beat them in every kind of like statistical category. As you go down the line and the two interceptions by Timmy McLean are probably the difference overall. But, you know, USF did a lot of little things right. They didn't let Houston sack them one yeah that's not easy to do it just isn't like i said this is a cougar scene that gets after you you know yeah and i gotta shout out their special teams because that to me was really what kind of kept them in the game as well and and brian batty freshman running back south florida he is the special teams player of the week Mm -hmm. he scored two touchdowns on kickoff returns becoming the only the second player in ncafbs history to register two 100 yard kickoff returns in the game. Um, he also had a 29 yard rushing touchdown, which gave them um, a lead on both mm-hmm. of his returns. Uh, he joined former USF wide receiver Terrence Horn as the only AAC conference player to register two touchdowns on kickoff returns in a game. And he's the NCAA leader with three touchdowns on kickoff returns this season. So I really think. Houston dropped the ball in the special teams area. That's clearly a weakness for them. Um, and that South Florida exposed that, but you got to love the fight. Like Jeff Scott's like, I'm going to get points wherever I can. Mm-hmm. And I love that about him. So. Oh, absolutely. And Houston, by the way, next week they're at temple. Ooh. Yeah. They've no, got, and, but that's, it's no. going to be bad. It's gonna yeah, be really it's going to be bad. They're going to take out all that frustration from this game on temple. I'll tell you that much. You know, it's a Temple, Memphis, and UConn coming up for Houston. So I think they probably flex a little bit there. I mean, Memphis, obviously, I mean, the Memphis-Houston game's at Houston, so they should be fine. Yeah. But, you know, 
I think they're, they're going to, I mean, with SMU losing again in conference, they're going to walk to the conference championship game now. I mean, they'd yeah. have to lose to both Temple and Memphis, and SMU would have. No, I don't think it's even possible at this point, unless like UCF somehow got in ahead of them with the tiebreaker. I'm I'm in my head too much. We're trying to figure out yeah. how anyone but Houston could be playing Cincinnati at the end of the year. Yeah, we can do that we, on the next podcast. Yeah, we, yeah, I can actually do the math out before. Yeah, I'll let you work it out. <laughs> I can see your brain working. It's like that. Well, I'm gift. just trying to go through like what the tiebreakers would be yeah. because even if Houston lost twice and SMU won out, they still hold the tiebreaker on SMU. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, I mean, UCF only has two conference losses so far, though. Dan's over here scheming how to get UCF. I really am. (laughs) I can see it. And by then, Dylan Gabriel would be healthy and his head has come down a bit. Can you imagine what a comeback that would be? Gus Mills on breaks his leg (laughs) on the journey to the best comeback, and then then Gabriel comes back like that. I will be interested to see what where Gus is coaching from, if he goes up to the booth to call plays from, or if he's still on the sideline on crutches going forward. He you know, strikes me as he's going to be on crutches. Guy. Yeah, he strikes me as a sideline I mean, guy. I remember when Charlie Weiss, uh, when he was coaching at Notre Dame, he had a, uh, a player kind of rolled up on him. He messed up his knee real bad. And from the Hawaii Bowl, he coached from the booth, and that was one of the silliest sights you'll ever see. Well, my concern, I guess, for the crutches is how much of a liability that is just to be on the sideline with crutches as far as – you know, getting in the way of other players or coaches. I, I don't know. Yeah. It might, he might want I mean, to be down there, but they know, may not. You often have see him. players on crutches, you know, on the side. Yeah, but he's a, he's a coach. Yeah, but, he's like, I don't know. I, I, I like to think people can see where the crutches are and run around them. You'd be surprised when things are like, sometimes when plays come over there quickly or something's happening, it might be more trouble than it's worth. And they mm-hmm. might tell him that, you know, like, Hey, it's yeah. just better. Until you're more mobile, so we'll see. Let's let's keep our eye on Gus Malzahn. We'll we'll you know, I mean, I obviously mentioned he calls plays, but there's a ton more that you do as the head coach than that. That really helps to be on the sideline right. for, like, as an easy ones working the refs. You know, what I mean, you want to mm-hmm. be the one who's in their ear talking to them all game. You know, making sure that the players that you want in the game at a given time are there. You know, a lot of times coordinators have a lot of say in that, but. You know, sometimes the coach likes to overrule it if they see something. Uh, calling timeouts, imagine the clock at the end of the game, especially with the freshman quarterback. All these things are important. So we'll see. Uh, anyways, yeah, that covers all of our teams that we have to review. Do you have anything else burning inside that you want to get out? No, that's it. Just that I went a perfect 6-0 and this week. That's right. I did go 5-1. and Because I thought SMU I'm would take care of business. edging my way one game I, at a time. Yeah, I thought SMU would take care of business. They did not. Other than that, we were oh. perfect together on mm-hmm. that. Uh, I'm 57-21 overall. You're 47-31. So with three weeks plus conference championships plus Army-Navy. I, well, I guess up- throw it out plus bowls. You've got to yeah. make up 10 games. Got to make up 10 games. It's not impossible. It's it's a little improbable the way I the thing is make like, picks sometimes. But Well, the thing is, we're so deep into the season now, too, that like I think it's we have a good idea of what teams should do what in every game. You know what I mean? Like in September, you can kind of say like, ooh, I really trust that, you know, this team will have taken a step forward and maybe they didn't or, you know, vice versa. Mm-hmm. By by November, you kind of know who every team is. So, you know, like, Hey, if I'm picking this team, it's kind of a bet and a gamble and you can only do that so often. Yeah. If, if you're trying to get them right, at least. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I just blow it up. I don't know. We'll see. You can take temple next week if you want. I won't oh, stop boy. you. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not All crazy. Right. <laughs> hey, 
it's all good. Uh, you can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter. You can find me at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And I think that'll do it for this week. Perfect. Uh, 